maybe we should just move everyone over to this side. <laughs> Praise God. God is faithful. That's an awesome thing, and that's what we're all about here, understanding that God is faithful and that we can trust and know him. And are you ready for some more Hebrews this week? We're going to look at chapter 4 today. And uh, chapter 4 is on a very high and lofty topic, the rest, God's rest. Anybody need some rest? Is anybody tired? You need some rest? There, well, there's much more to it. It's not just a rest that is a break from being tired. There's so much more involved, but... Um, I was thinking recently, I just got an offer in the mail, and I got so excited about it, and I was like, yeah, I want to take advantage of this, and then I realized, well, it expires tomorrow, and there's no time. So there it goes, expiration dates. Something's always coming to an end. You've got to drink the milk before it goes sour. You've got to use that coupon at the right time, or you're out of luck, and then there's the stipulation while supplies last, and you go, and it's not there, and, and things are always running out, Sometimes we're too late, but what we're talking about today, a theme of this chapter, is that something is still available. One of the greatest offers that you can receive is still available. There remains a rest for the people of God. And there's a lot of restlessness out there in the world these days, right? And the reason for restlessness, usually, is because people have turned away to their own way. They've turned away from God. Sin brings restlessness. Just walking out of sorts in a broken world, in your fallen flesh, outside of God's will, can bring restlessness. And so the Bible says of the wicked, there's no rest for the wicked in the book of Isaiah. But believers also fall prey to this because we're not perfect yet. We haven't fully arrived and we've, we've plugged in where we can, but we still, we ourselves get into a place of restlessness. Right? So how can, we, how can we remedy that? We're not supposed to be restless, and yet that's pretty much our experience. I've been experiencing it, and, and uh, I was blessed studying this this week, and I believe you'll be blessed today, too, with what we're sharing. But the offer was made to the Israelites. We looked at that last week, and they went astray in their hearts. And we learned that they couldn't take advantage of God's rest. They couldn't enter in because of unbelief. And you may recall last week we talked about unbelief can be a part of the believer as well as the non... I mean, non-believers are always in unbelief. But you can have faith. You can believe the word is true. You can believe in God. And yet there is unbelief mixed in. There's, a, there's something that you need to overcome. Something, yeah, I know it looks uh, grim right now, but I've got to overcome what I see by what God says. And that was the problem with the Israelites. God had said, God had promised, and yet they were overcome by what they saw, felt, heard, tasted. It was all uh, in the natural, in the now. And their hearts, it said, because of this unbelief, were astray, and they missed the rest. They weren't brought into the rest, except for Joshua and Caleb in the next generation, because their hearts did not go astray. But today we're learning that that rest is still available, even though some didn't enter it, and maybe even today some don't enter it, it's still available. And we have, we have every chance to get into the best place with the Lord, 
And if you are not a believer, there is a rest available to you. If you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can put your faith in him and come into a place where you are set free from the bondage of sin, where you know where you're going when you die, when you, you know what you're about now and who you belong to, and there is a rest. No more do you have to be about the bondage and pressures and strains of the world. You still have responsibilities. You still have things you've got to be a part of. But in your core being, something happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. He changes you from the inside out. It's not you working to change yourself. That's something people have to understand about the gospel, offering rest. It's not about doing better and changing yourself. It's, it's faith and believing that he's the one that did the work and allowing him to bring the change. That frees you up right there. So if you're an unbeliever, you can have that rest coming to Christ. And if you're a believer who's restless, there's an offer that is still active for you. And so we're going to look at that. Hebrews 4, uh, verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. All right. What do we say, therefore, when you see a therefore? It's there for a reason. What's it there for? It's therefore coming off of chapter 3, talking about how they didn't enter in because they had hardened their hearts because of unbelief. And because you see that, we want you to know there's still a promise of rest for us. And he's speaking again to the Hebrews who were suffering some persecution. They were certainly going through a restless period standing for the gospel, and that wasn't a popular thing to do. Hello, is that the way it is today? Yeah, we may not be going through what they went through, though. They, they probably were going through worse. And he said, there still remains something for you. And that very first verse is just, when you think of Scripture being inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God, God-breathed word to, to his people, God's heart comes through. God has a heart for you and for me to be at rest. And he, he doesn't, his heart isn't for us to be going through pulling our hair out, going gray, and, and being all upset with everything coming at us. He has rest for us. His heart is expressed in this very verse, but Jesus himself expressed it in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, when he said, Come to me, all you who, are, uh, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus had spoken, I'm here to give you rest. He was speaking that to uh, Pharisees and the common people, saying, you know, it's not about all your good works, it's not about all your religion, but I'm your rest. Come to me, I will give you rest. And here, the apostle is saying the, the rest still remains, and you can have his rest. Notice it says entering his rest. And like I said, this isn't talking about his rest as in, I'm so tired, I need a rest. But what is the rest of God? His rest. Think about it. Is God at peace right now? You know, he's not anxious about the economy. He's not short of supply. He's not self-conscious. He's not lonely. He's not depressed. He's not needing to impress anybody. Ever feel like you need to impress somebody? Need to perform? God doesn't have to prove himself, and he's not waking up at night worrying. And he's not looking to the future and saying, oh, what am I going to do? His rest. 
his rest. Isn't that great? He, he's probably the most content, satisfied being there is, and he's offering us a chance to enter into his rest. Not our rest, but his rest. His rest, he's accomplished. I said he doesn't have to prove anything. He did everything at the cross where Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. And so um, fear of death, fear of punishment, all of that has been removed. And the cross, it is finished, released us from the law. You say, You're, you know, I have to hold the law. I have to obey the law. Yeah, you, it, the law is good. We're not against the law, but... If you fall short of one point in that law, you're guilty, you're cursed. No, he removed that. He removed that. You're free. You're not bound to the law. And there's rest in that. And that's the good news of the gospel. And not only are you free from that bondage of the law, but his rest brings you into favor, favor with God. It's like, this is the amazing thing to me. He's not just tolerating us, but he loves us, and he wants to, he has this heart for us to be at rest. He doesn't want us to be uh, going to pieces and, and being pulled this way and that, but he wants to be our fellowship, our relationship, our, 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 our rest himself. And we're accepted in the beloved. This is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So I want to talk about three things about his rest that apply to us. Rest, it means not worrying about your status with God. Or am I good enough? Or will he still love me? If you struggle with living for Christ, it's so difficult, or always feeling guilt or shame, or feeling like God is angry at you all the time, or at best, he just sort of puts up with you, you haven't entered his rest. Now I'm thinking uh, the, uh, the comedian says, you might be a redneck if... Uh, I'm not talking about rednecks. I'm talking about you might not have entered his rest if you're feeling uncertain about whether he's accepting you, whether he loves you, whether you can be free, when you can, whether you can come boldly to him. His rest is, is not worrying about your status with him. He has achieved all that for you on your behalf in Christ Jesus. And if you're concerned about how difficult, difficult it is living for him, you're working, you're still under works, you're still under bondage, and you haven't entered his rest. Another thing about his rest is it's not needing to prove anything or gain anyone's approval. Not needing to prove anything or gain anyone's approval. And, you know, we all have peer pressure sometimes. And there, I know in school there's cliques and the, the hotshot friends and the other, you know, and I just want to be noticed and everything. But if you are living trying to validate your existence by what you do or how you look or what you have or whether you're a success or not. If you're trying to validate your existence by all these things, trying to gain approval or winning acceptance from others, you have not entered his rest because his rest will fill you with his approval. His rest will fill you with his accomplishments, his value, and you won't need that from other people. Another thing about his rest is understanding that you're cared for, that your future is secure and blessed. So if you worry, if you fear, you haven't entered his rest. 
and now I've probably got people even more restless. I worry and I fear so I'm that much further away. No, but see, the point is, this isn't to get you more restless, but to say, hey, wait a second. This is the point of this first verse. Therefore, since a, a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you come to have, seem to have come short of it. Let us fear doesn't mean be afraid, but it says take initiative, be of concern. Understand that you have a greater treasure and you don't want to miss it. And be of fear lest you come short of it because Jesus didn't just purchase you, die on the cross, forgive your sins, and put you in a new state in the heavenly realms, but he came so that you could have the experience of his life in you now and to be free from all that uh, he set us free from. So, all these things. I'm trying to validate my existence by what I do, what I say, what I have. I'm, I'm worried about my status with God. I, I'm worried about what other people think. I fear what the future is and things like that and how we're going to make it. All this stuff is so natural to our human condition. And he's saying, that's not what you're here for. And you don't have to be a part of it. There still remains this offer. It has, hasn't expired. Do you want to come into it? Let us fear if you haven't because you don't want to miss it. It's like the coupons that say, hurry now while supplies last. Although this supply is lasting until the final time when he comes. But it's available now. And then it's even consummated when he returns into even greater things. So we don't want to come short of it. And you can, you can come short of something, but his heart was for the Hebrews at this time. He's saying, don't, I know you're going through this stuff, and I know you're going through stuff here now today, but you can actually be going through this stuff from a place of rest. You know, some, some people can work more efficiently because they're at peace in their hearts, their spirit, and their soul. They, they are at rest, and so they're doing a greater job. Meanwhile, you have some who are working and working and working and working, and they're just exhausted, worn out, and tired because there's not rest on the inside. So you can have a rest that helps you get through trials in this time. You can have a rest, a peace with God, knowing that he loves you and cares for you. He's going to see you through and that can give you rest for the test. There's more poetry. I'm always going to come up with poetry because you knew I was a poet and I didn't think so. Um, but there's rest for the test, and that's how you get the best. Because when you're at rest, you can pass the test. And, you know, I couldn't say it better than to say it like that, you know. But when you're at rest, nothing can phase you. But it's a spiritual rest that we have to enter into. How do you enter into it? And again, it's a condition of the heart, which he was addressing in chapter 3. It's a condition of your heart. And it's not a heart to do. It's not a heart to do. It's a heart that believes. It is a heart that believes. And believes what? That God's done everything. And we just simply respond. Faith is a response. And we have to be careful, though, because faith, can, you can respond in an improper way. A lot of people take faith and they turn it into works. And uh, they believe that their works are showing evidence of their faith. That works as being the root. And then you have faith. And that's what a lot of people, that's religion. That's I've got to do this, this, this. And I've got to read my Bible every day. And I've got to make sure I've prayed 30 minutes before I go out. And all that. And, and it's good. I hope you can do stuff like that. That's good. I'm not ever saying don't. But I'm saying if that's just your faith, I know I've got to do this. So I've got to do it. That's the wrong thing. You want to be careful of that. You want to be careful that your faith is accomplished in Christ. 
it is a response to what he has done and that you have been set free and then the works will follow. There will be works, but the works aren't the root. The works are the fruit. The works are the fruit of faith. So there's no confusion when James says faith without works is dead. It's not talking about you got to do stuff, do stuff, and have faith. No, it's if you believe, it's going to produce a response, and it's just going to be an outflow from a place of rest. And that's when you have more power to do what God wants us to do because you have that, that freedom and that place of rest because you're believing. So how do you enter? It's by your heart condition, as we've been talking about, and it's by understanding that I'm supposed to enter into it. I'm not, I'm not trying to obtain it. Obtain. How do I get rest? How do I obtain rest? Enter. enter just enter. Again, Jesus said, come. Come to me. How do I do that? You turn inside. You turn in your spirit, your heart, your inner person. Paul wrote uh, that the Holy Spirit might strengthen the inner man in Ephesians chapter 3. In your inner person, understand that you have an inner person, and it's a matter of taking your heart and just turning to the Lord saying, I'm safe in you, Lord. I'm safe in you, and I have everything in you. And the finished work of the cross has, has settled everything. And then the mind starts going, but what about, what about, what about, and I got to do, I got to, and you say, hush. You, sometimes you just got to tell yourself to be quiet and go back to that secret place of the Most High and dwell in the secret place of the Most High, abide in the shadow of the Almighty, and there's your rest. You enter into it. But in order to enter something, you have to make a choice. You have to decide, I'm going to go through that door. I'm going to enter that door. And so it doesn't just happen like, oh, God, help me, help me, help me. You've got to make a choice to say, I'm entering. I've decided to enter. More on how to enter. Verse 2. I'm spending more time on these first verses, so don't, we won't be here all afternoon. Don't fear. We'll go a little bit faster. But these are the crucial foundation parts. Verse 2, especially. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who hear it. So the gospel, gospel means good news. And of course the gospel we preach in church in this day is that Jesus died for you, rose again. You can be set free, you can be forgiven, you can have a relationship with God. They didn't hear that good news because Jesus hadn't died yet, hadn't come yet. But it was still good news. Everything in the Bible, speaking of God's rest, from that point and on to the end, it's all part of the gospel. It all culminates in Jesus Christ. But their good news was that they were delivered from Egypt and they could enter into a promised land with all provision and abundance, and God would be their God and take care of their enemies. And that was great news, but it did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. And uh, I like what Bob Yandian said, faith and the good news. It's like cement. Cement is useless unless you mix it with water and sand. So you can have the, right, you can have the gospel, but it's not going to do anything for you if you don't approach it mixing it with faith. Just like cement is not going to help make anything stand as concrete without the mixing of water and and sand. And the question is, how much faith do we mix with the word when we're hearing it? Because there are tons and tons of churches, there are tons and tons of TV broadcasting, radio broadcasting, the gospel is going out, the word's going out, and yet people, are they profiting from it? 
Or are they still just falling into the same traps, living like the world and, and uh, falling into the same darkness and things like that when there's such promises of good news? You know, there's, there's promises that no sickness shall come near your dwelling. You say, well, you can't believe that. Okay, well, don't believe it then. It's, it, you're going to surely not get the benefit of it. I'd rather believe it and, and maybe something doesn't work right, but at least I've got a better chance believing the promises. And the promises won't benefit us unless we do believe them. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's a promise and a half. And how much unbelief I've had mixed into my own life where I've worried and fretted, am I going to have what I need? Well, it's right there, the, the gospel. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means I shall not be lacking anything. We're going to have to hold on to that, folks, in the days ahead with this economy and everything, and it's, it's scary out there, but the word's still available. There's, there remains a rest for the people of God, and that's what we have to get into however we get rid of the unbelief that hinders that. Um, you know, you can be all about the Bible, and it's not going to profit you much. You can love it, in a lot of places, people love the word, and they applaud the word. Look at what the Lord said to Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 30 to 32. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they came to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. Uh-oh. Could this be the situation in our country in a great majority of believers who will buy the books, listen to the radio, watch the TV programs, come to church, hear a word, and, and send the money, and yet there's no faith being mixed with what they've heard. It's not, it's not propelling them into a different walk with the Lord. It's not propelling them into victory in the struggles that are out there. It's not giving them the peace they need. Oh, they love it, and they, and they get something from it. But the whole goal of entering his rest is to see our, our hearts in the direction of what this word says, and are we going to respond? It's not a responding to prove anything, but it's just showing, yeah, I believe what God says. And that'll change how you read the Bible. If you start to look at the Bible and say, man, it says God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, you start believing that. If we really believe that, uh, it will make things exciting. Verse 3. For we who have believed, there it is, believed, do enter the rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And this is an interesting phrase from the foundation. The works were finished. He doesn't require your works. You get the privilege of serving him. But that's not earning you anything. That's just entering into his goodness and his reward. 
and that's giving you more access to his grace and rest and peace and fellowship. When we're serving him, we're doing what we were created to do and be, and that's what builds us up and strengthens us and grows us. But we're not trying to do anything when it's all finished. He, he, his works were finished from the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Revelation 13, 8 says that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. And 1 Peter 1.20 says, Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Everything, God is outside of time. He had it in his heart. It was finished. It was done. And he rested on the seventh day in creation. Everything is all set because God knows the beginning, <coughs> excuse me, the beginning from the end. And there is a place of rest. When we can enter into his rest, like I said, he's not worried. He's not wrangling his hands about the governments and things like that that are going on. The Bible says they're a drop in the bucket to him. And, uh, oh, I love, there's some verses that say the, the plans of man will come to naught. You know, there, do not say conspiracy out there. Isaiah 8, 12, if you want to look at that, you know, there, it's all coming to naught at some point. He's from the foundation. He knows the beginning and the end. And he had chose us in the foundation, it says in Ephesians, I believe. So knowing the beginning and the end, you know where you came from. Do you know where you're going? Do you know how it's going to play out, how it's going to end? And this is a funny story. I have a friend in Missouri uh, who, who tells a story of he was a baseball fan many years ago. I don't know how long it was, but he's a baseball fan. He loved the Kansas City Royals, and he was so excited about a game they were playing, but he had a bunch of meetings that day, so he decided he was going to video record it. And he was going to make sure nobody told him anything about the game. He was going to try to avoid that. He wasn't going to listen to sports radio on the way home and things like that. And he, he decided on the way home he's going to listen to easy listening music station. They won't talk about the game. And sadly, somebody did say something about the game on the easy listening station because apparently it was an incredible game. The Royals were behind six points. It was the bottom of the ninth, and there were two out, and they had a remarkable comeback. And so he was happy about the comeback, but he wasn't happy that he couldn't enjoy the game like he had intended. But he got home, and he decided to put on some popcorn. I'm going to watch this anyway and just have fun watching the game. And when he started his, his recording, uh, a friend came over, knocked on the door. He let him in and said, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm watching the game. You want to watch it? He said, yeah. And he never told his friend that the thing was taped. And so he said, who are we rooting for? We're rooting for the Royals. And so the guy... They're watching the game, and the Royals are doing terrible, and this guy is getting antsy and nervous and squirming. He said, how can you sit there so calmly? And he just, he just watched the game, and, and then at some point, this guy got up. He says, I can't take this, and he walks outside. He says, I'll come back and see how they're doing, and then he comes back, and then finally, the last bit of the game, he was wowed with that fantastic ending, and uh, he later learned uh, that my buddy had recorded the game. He said, oh, so that's why you could sit through that all calmly and not get agitated. And that's our story. We know, we know the ending, but are we mixing that gospel with faith? Are we really believing that and understanding that that's as, as certain everything's going to work out, including our own future, not just the the Lord's going to come and make rights with the world, but our own future, he's got us glorified already. Past tense, glorified. Read Romans 8, verse 29. If we could just get that into our hearts, 
we might not get agitated, but what did the Israelites do? They didn't see that promised land. They didn't see or believe in that end, and they got agitated at the smallest things out there. Some of it was large, but small or large, if you know the ending, you've got an edge, you've got an advantage, and that's rest. You know it like God knows, and you can enter his rest in that way. Verses 4 to 5. For he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. So this is referring to uh, Genesis, and it talks about God rested on the seventh day. It's talking, it's an allusion to the Sabbath, the Sabbath rest. And uh, I read something interesting about the rabbis who talk about the Sabbath rest. They said that the first six days of creation, there was evening and there was morning, day one, evening and morning, day two, evening and morning, day three, and so on. There was a beginning and an end, a completion to each day. But the last day, the seventh day, God rested, and it doesn't say anything about evening or morning. It's, and the, the rabbis argue that this is a, a type, a symbol of God's everlasting rest, that he finished it, he ceased from his work, it's done, and there remains a rest that's still uh, not come to its expiration. It's not ended. And the Sabbath, are we supposed to keep the, the seventh day, the Sabbath? You know, the Seventh-day Adventists, they, they meet on Saturdays because they think that's the Sabbath. And I read something about that, I can't remember, but they were actually wrong, too. The, the calendars have shifted, and things. there's Jewish calendar stuff and all that, you can get into a, a, a non-resting place. Like, am I doing the right thing on the right day? Am I resting on the right day? And the whole point of the Sabbath was to point to Jesus as the rest for the people of God. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. It says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. So while you have all kinds of people getting into a legalistic thing, and you've got to obey the Sabbath, you can't work on Sunday, you can't do all this, and I think it's a good principle. There is a place for keeping a Sabbath. There is a place for keeping a rest, and I, I believe it's healthy, and you should take a rest uh, one day a week at least. Um, but the point is, is that you're not going to be breaking any law if you don't. It's just not as healthy if you don't. But you're free. You're, you're free because all of that was a shadow of things to come. The substance is Christ. And Paul talked about it again in Romans 14, 5 and 6, talking one day is, is holy to one person, not holy to another. If it's before the Lord, you're free. You know, but Jesus is the one that set us free. We have the rest in that. And the whole point of him being the Sabbath is, is a place of peace. Jesus is our place of peace. Again, we don't have to prove anything. We don't have anything to lose. We don't have to validate our existence. We don't have to grit our teeth and try to do better because he's our Sabbath. We enter into Christ, and God sees us as pure, holy, and righteous, even though we don't see ourselves that way, and that is the good news. That's the rest that we want to be in, and it's still available. Verses 10 through 11, real quickly. 
says, He who has entered his rest has also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And the whole point there is it's simply rest or religion. Have you ceased from your works? Have you ceased from trying to be the best and to be accepted by God? And we know ourselves too well. I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And faith says, I got to stop. I got to say quiet, hush again to what I feel, believe, and think and turn my inward spirit man to, to Jesus who says, yeah, you're, you're worthy. I died for you. And I, not only that, I gave you my worthiness. It's a good bargain. It's a good deal. And, and it hasn't expired. Verses 12 through 13 which we could talk about in its own length, but we'll go quickly through this. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. And so this is, the, what is the word, the word... Well, in this context, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, we always think of that as speaking about the word of God, the Bible, right? But, you know, if you're reading this in context, what did this mean to, when they were reading it? They, it was the word that was preached that was, that was not mixed with faith in verse 2. It says they heard something, the same gospel that was preached to them. They heard something, and they did not let that word move them in the right direction. This is the word of God that, that it's referring to. Anything from the Lord, any command he's given, anything that he has promised, anything that uh, reveals whatever is revealed in Scripture, being inspired, God-breathed by the Holy Spirit, that is the word of God. So, yes, you can apply it to the Bible as well. And, it, and we could go into this, how this is an incredible book, it is a living word. I once heard a, a radio teacher say, order my commentary, and this commentary will help make the word of God come alive. And it's good. I don't, it's not wrong, but I, I thought, well, you know, the word of God is alive. It's us who need to come alive to the word. You know, you don't need the comment. Well, the commentary can help you come alive to the word. Maybe, maybe that would have been a better way to phrase it, right? But this is a powerful, and there's another thing. A two-edged sword. How many times do we get sleepy and open up and, oh, here we go. I'm we take it for granted because it's so accessible. It wasn't always accessible as, as it is now. And maybe you've read it for years and years and years, and it's become so familiar, and you forget that this is a supernatural, powerful, double-edged sword that cuts and divides even to soul and spirit. And what's he talking about there? There's nothing hidden that this word can't expose. And so this is almost, or in fact, I believe it is, it's more of a, a fearful uh, passage, more than an encouraging passage, because it's not saying here the word's going to help you. Here it's saying the word's going to expose who you are, who you are, because it's going to cut through all the outer stuff and reveal your innermost person. And are you the person who believes, or are you just working or are you just on the outside? The heart of Christianity 
or the Christian faith is the Christian faith that's in the heart. Who you are in secret is the secret of who you are. And, and this word is going to expose who you are in secret. There's a lot of people, we worked with a guy in China who came and he was always, praise the Lord, and always quoting scripture and always trying to be super holy man of God around us. And uh, we were even moving in one day and we were working. He comes outside with his guitar and he's singing praise songs. It was the wrong time to be doing that. But it's just he made it look like he's all about praising God and, and speaking the word all the time. And, and he ended up being quite a wolf in sheep's clothing and did some real damage. And there are a lot of people out there that are one way on the outside, but they're different on the inside. And you might be able to fool people with your outside, but the word already has it, has you pegged, divides between soul and spirit, and shows the thoughts and intents of your heart. It puts you in a place. You're, you're naked before the eyes of whom you must give account. And that guy I talked about, if he had considered this, if he really, if he had mixed it with faith, it would have changed what he did, right? It's like people just don't believe it. You know, yeah, the word says it. He probably quoted it. But if you don't believe it, it's not going to change who you are, the secret of who you are, who you are in secret. And so we want to be in that place. And I said this passage is actually kind of a, it exposes us. It's not quite, a, quite as much an encouragement to read the word, although we could turn it into that. It's a tool. It's a sword. You cut down your foes. You cut down the enemy. You cut down that trial with what the word says. It's powerful, and it applies here. But this is showing us that this word will expose you. You're naked before him who you must give account. But he doesn't leave us there. And this is the rest, the, final, the rest of the chapter. <laughs> Literally, the rest. The rest of the chapter. He doesn't leave us exposed and naked to God. But what's it say in verse 14? Through 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Oh, we were exposed and we were naked, but we actually have a go between someone on our behalf who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, not the angels, not Moses, not the prophets, but the one who the first three chapters were saying is greater, Jesus, the Son of God. Seeing we have that, that high priest, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here is the rest, the Sabbath, our high priest, our high priest, the Son of God, who, who took on our nature, and we... We get in because of our confession, not because of what we have done, not because of works, but it's holding our confession. So you get to heaven. Why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? You, you can't say anything if it's going to be pointing to you, but you can confess the high priest. You say, I'm, I'm here... I, I only, I'm only here because of the high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, and he said that I could come to the throne of grace and find help in a time of need. That's the, the confession. That's the rest. We're not working. We're not earning. We're confessing. And what are we confessing? We're confessing 
a savior who came as a high priest to bridge the gap between man and God, but didn't come as one otherwise, but became as the son of God, a man and God in one person, Jesus Christ. He became totally involved in us, in our nature, putting on human flesh, and it says that he experienced that he... Um, that he's able, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. It means he, he can sympathize with us, he understands us. And all of this you can be hearing and say, yeah, amen, that's great. But you realize that this was a very revolutionary thought to a Jewish audience back in this time. Who were coming out of Moses, coming out of uh, the law and traditionalism, the whole entire Old Covenant could not know God as a loving, personal father the way we can. The whole Old Covenant never saw God become as intimately involved personally with his people as we saw with Jesus putting on human flesh and becoming so involved with us that he understands us, that he can sympathize with us, that he can help us because he's been there. And we say, he hasn't gone through what I've gone through, Everything you've gone through, every problem, every sin, sickness, every result of the curse was put on him at the cross, and he bore it. Before he went to the cross, he started to bear it and said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I was thinking about how much the, we were tormented by the, the thoughts and the, and the uh, fears and the things that are going on in our heads when we don't enter the rest in our spirit. And how difficult that is. You can be afflicted in the flesh with a sickness or a pain. Somebody's hurt their shoulder, their foot, their leg. You know, you can be afflicted in the flesh, but you can also be afflicted in your mind, will, and emotions. And this is the part, this is the central part of you, the tie between your spirit and your body. But you can be as much afflicted and maybe even more tormented by these mental mental torments that come upon you, these depressions and anxieties and things like that. There's a place of peace that if we turn to the Lord and look to him, he's the high priest, and he, he took all of that on the cross. Those torments, not just the physical, not just the physical, but he said his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow. He bore that as much as anything else. And you say, well, he didn't go through what I was going through, but it all came upon him on the cross. And he's able to understand and he's able to help because he was so involved with you and me then and now because he still lives and makes intercession for us at the throne of God. And because he's there and because he knows and because he's our brother as we saw in chapter 2 and because he's the great high priest who can sympathize, we can go boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a powerful, comfortable promise that is. But can we believe it? Well, yeah, that, that'll work for so-and-so, but it won't work for me. Or I tried and it didn't work. I didn't get the help I needed. Was it mixed with faith? Were you looking to the high priest or were you just looking for the immediate fix? You understand that he loves you. He wants the best for you, that he's going to put everything together in his time. And maybe this help that it's talking about in 416 can be anything that you're needing, but maybe it applies even most specifically in this chapter to your heart position of getting into that place of rest. 
Lord, I'm not in that place of rest, but I'm coming to a throne of grace where you can help me with that, and I'm going to believe for that. I'm going to ask you and thank you because that's what you came for. That's why you sympathize. You, you put on that human flesh. You died for me so that I could be able to enter into this rest. Help me, Lord, in my time of need, and he will come through and help. And that is the good news. Can you mix it with the sand and the water and make it concrete in your life? That's what God wants, and that's what's going to get us through in the days ahead. And it's going to be the good fight of faith. This is our journey. We have to get into this place always returning to our rest, getting into the Sabbath, and being able to work from there, working from a place of rest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you and praise you that you have a heart for us, that we would be at rest, that we would have peace through Jesus Christ. And we just worship you and praise you for that. Help us, Lord, to become spiritual people who, who dwell in the secret place of the Most High, who aren't touched because we're in the place of refuge, the strong tower and everything's complete. It is finished. You've ceased from your works because everything's been supplied and provided for there. So we enter into that. Help us, Lord, to be wise and to continue and to be uh, even more acquainted with your rest as we grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen.